This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Paul goes through the, the explanation in chapter 7 about the, the struggle between his spirit and his flesh. The real man on the inside, even though he was born again, the real man on the inside struggling against the work or the desires of the flesh. But in chapter 8, he tells you the, the, the secret, the key to victory. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation which are in Christ Jesus. I'm reading from the King James, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That last phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, is not in uh, some of the oldest manuscripts. You look at a, a comparison of different translations, New Testament translations, you'll find that about half of them, maybe a little bit more than half, include this phrase, but the rest do not. We'll hold on there for just a minute. I, I don't believe it's supposed to be there. That phrase is in verse 4, but there's some pretty significant evidence that shows the translators pulled it up from verse 4 and included it in verse 1. Now, whether that was because they could not accept the phrase, uh, the reality that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, period, or not, I don't know. That's my best guess, but who knows? Nevertheless, this phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, is in dispute. Now, let's leave it there for the time being and see if the Bible clarifies so we can understand. For, here's why there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, whether walking after the flesh or whatever you want to believe about it. For, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me ask you a question. Has the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made you free from the law of sin and death only if you're not walking after the flesh? In other words, are you saved only if you live right? Or are you saved because of Jesus? then that phrase cannot be supported by the, even, even the next verse. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he's saying very simply, it's not a matter of works. The law couldn't do it. Keeping the law couldn't do it. Only the blood of Jesus could. Well, what is keeping the law? Keeping the law is the equivalent of not walking after the flesh, but after the spirit. So it's a further explanation why there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What is Paul talking about? He, remember, he's talking about his own victory. He's talking about here's the victory that I gained over my flesh. I came to realize that I'm righteous. Not righteous if I do right. Righteous because of Jesus. Now, I want to do right. That's the reason why he was struggling. I want to do right as, as I believe most every Christian does. But not every Christian knows the power, has found the power, the source of the power to live right. Does that mean they're not saved until they learn to live right? If that's the case, then their salvation depends on them and not on Jesus. In other words, the blood of Jesus isn't enough for them. It takes their own right living to do it. We know that's not true. Verse 4, that or so that Jesus condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Yeah, but here's that phrase again. Even if you leave it in verse 4 and take it out of verse 1. It's talking about the righteousness of the law is fulfilled when you learn to live right. Is that what he means? If so, then righteousness is not based on Jesus' blood. 
Folks, if there's one thing that you need to learn and be solid in and be established in, look yourself in the mirror every morning and say, I'm righteous no matter what. Because of Jesus, I'm righteous no matter what. That's what Paul's trying to get across. Righteousness is yours. Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the mind, uh, do mind or are after the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is intimate he against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Folks, if we don't define this phrase in the flesh, we're going to be hopelessly confused. Because some people are going to say in the flesh means messing up, Christians messing up. Other people are going to say other things. What does in the flesh mean? Paul identifies it by the Holy Ghost. Paul's going to define it for you right now. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. What does he mean? He's talking about the Spirit of God. There's two ways the Spirit of God can be in you. Either salvation or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Which one's he talking about? He explains further. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's only, way you, only one way you can have the Spirit of Christ, and that is by being born again. Therefore, in the flesh means unsaved. Remember in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, why is faith necessary to please God? Because faith is necessary to be saved. He's saying the same thing. So that they that are unsaved cannot please God. In other words, you can't please God by your works if you're unsaved. There's only one way you can please God, and that's through faith in Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? Now, remember, Paul's talking about victory. He's talking about overcoming. He's saying this is what the overcoming life looks like. Now, the overcomer is the one who has the power of God on the inside of him. Is the one that has the spirit of God on the inside of him. I would uh, hesitate to say that you, uh, well, no, I'm not even going to hesitate. It's impossible to live overcoming life just by being saved and not by being filled with the Spirit. Because you're bypassing on part of the work that God has given the Holy Spirit to do in the church. Now, I didn't say God's mad at you if you don't get filled with the Spirit. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. You will. But you can't live the overcoming life that God intended for you to have. Because God intended for the Holy Spirit to operate in two different ways in the church. First through salvation, second through the infilling. First as a well, second as a river. But you are not in the flesh, or in other words, not unsaved, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Which is he talking about? Is he talking about salvation or is he talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost? If the spirit of him that raised up Christ dwells in you, which one does he mean? Well, he's been talking about salvation up to this point. But was salvation ever intended by God? I know the church has done it. But has salvation ever been intended by God to be separated from the baptism of the Holy Ghost? They started at two different points in time. Salvation began in John chapter 20. The baptism of the Holy Ghost began in Acts chapter 2. But did God intend for them to be separate in the lives of the individual? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. 
healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How? In, In salvation or in the baptism of the Holy Ghost? It doesn't matter. Because the Holy Ghost inside. We should have read verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then he tells us how. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I can give you examples of people that are not filled with the Spirit who the Holy Spirit has been bearing witness with their spirits about something in their lives. But I can also give you examples where the Holy Ghost bears witness with my spirit or with others about ministering to know what to do so that the rivers will flow out. So I think, again, we're doing ourselves a disservice by trying to distinguish between these things on the inside. We need to just accept the Holy Ghost is in there to do whatever we need. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll give you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. Now, here's what I want you to see. Um, well, I've got to keep reading. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs, equal heirs with Christ, in other words, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Here's another bugaboo word. Yeah, you've got to suffer. What suffering is he talking about? He's talking about the suffering of, of, of your spirit in conflict with your flesh. That's the suffering he's talking about. He's talking about the suffering that we have here on the earth because of the limitations of our flesh. That's the suffering that he means. He doesn't mean if you go to the cross too. Folks, we don't need you to go to the cross. Jesus went there. He goes on in verse 19. He says, uh, well, verse 18, skip that. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, he's saying what you're going through now is nothing compared to what it will be like when a certain time comes. For the earnest expectation of the creature, the creation, the earth, in other words, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now he's telling you what the suffering is about. He's saying not only are you suffering, waiting for your redeemed body, waiting for Jesus to return in the rapture so that we receive our redeemed body, so that we don't have to deal with the residue of sin and death in our flesh any longer, but the whole earth is waiting for that. That's what the earth is groaning and travailing about. For the creature, verse 20, the creature or the creation was made subject to vanity. Vanity means the law of sin and death. It means corruption. Was made subject to vanity or corruption, not willingly, but by reason of him, who's the him, Adam, who subjected it in hope. 
who subjected the same in hope. Another translation, I like another translation a lot better in this. It says, who subjected it thereby, but there is hope. And that's what the, that's the, the whole earth is groaning and travailing. The earth is waiting for the time when God will be back in charge. When will that be? When the sons of God are manifested. And that's the hope that he's talking about. Because the creature or the creation itself also shall be delivered. The earth is waiting to get out from under sin too. Shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption under the glorious liberty of the children of God. Notice everything is about when the children of God are back in control. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. That's what global warming, that's what all the other stuff that's changing, that's what the signs in heavens and the earth are going to be about. It's about the creation groaning and travailing until this point in time. And that point in time changed. We're 2,000 years beyond the point in time that Paul was talking about it and it's still continuing. It'll continue until Jesus comes. And not only they, but ourselves also. In other words, just like the earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for God to come back under control of the earth, we're groaning and travailing, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Not only they, but we also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. Now, what are first fruits? First fruits are the first part. Meaning, when your redeemed body comes, there'll be a greater measure or flow or operation of the Holy Spirit through your body than there is now. You can't be more full than filled. But you can do away with, or God can do away with, and will do away with, the residue of sin in your flesh. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. The word adoption means son placement. We're waiting to be placed, even with a body, in the presence of God. Just like Jesus was when he was raised from the dead. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, he's saying, we hope for this, and we know it hadn't happened yet because we haven't seen it. You can't hope for what you see, but you do hope for what you don't yet see. That's the statement he's making. That that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, what does he yet hope for? No point in hoping for tickets to the ball game when you've got the tickets in your hand. No point in hoping for $100 when you have the $100. But if we hope, verse 25, but if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And that's what we're doing now. We're, with, we're patiently, well, we're trying to be patient, waiting for Jesus to come back for us. Verse 26, likewise. Likewise, just like the earth is waiting, just like we're waiting, just like the earth is groaning, and just like we're groaning, we have the help, the comforter, to give us aid and comfort assistance likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities now what infirmities is he talking about well he's got to be talking about the limitations of the flesh because that's what the whole chapter has been about so far but what limitations of the flesh specifically does he mean likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for in other words here's the infirmity that he means for we know not what we should pray for as we ought please notice he didn't say we don't know what to pray for we do know to pray for jesus to come back but we don't know how to pray for these things as we ought. Why? Because of the limitations of our body. The limitations of our natural mind. The limitations of our understanding. But 
How does he help us? The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Just like the earth groans, just like we groan, the Holy Spirit helps us to groan. Now, that does not mean, The most literal translation of this phrase, groanings, means God talk. Groanings which cannot be uttered literally means God talk. Now, what in the world could that be? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, He that prayeth in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Interesting that he calls praying or speaking in tongues praying or speaking in the Spirit. Interesting that he talks about praying with the Holy Spirit or praying in other tongues, praying divine secrets or mysteries. Why would they be divine secrets or mysteries? Because our mind doesn't understand. That's our infirmity. I see some things that the Bible says about the glory of God being revealed before Jesus comes back, but I don't know how it's going to happen. Do you? I've got some ideas, but even if I'm right 100% on my ideas, I don't have it all figured out. So what is he talking about? He's talking about praying in other tongues. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what to pray for as we ought to know. But the Spirit himself helps us. How does he help us? He makes intercession for us. What does the word intercession mean? Intercession means joining together two parties. You're here. God's here. Your understanding is is unconnected with God because you don't know everything like you're supposed to. Or you don't know everything that you could know because of the limitations of the flesh. So what happens? The Holy Spirit joins those two parties. How does he join those two parties? By giving you utterance in other tongues. Now let me ask you this. Since utterance in other tongues is the evidence, speaking in other tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Is he talking about Holy Spirit baptism or is he talking about salvation? See, Paul's not making a distinction here. He's assuming that believers are both, are both saved and filled. Why would the Holy Spirit expect that? Because that was God's plan. It's ludicrous for somebody to say, well, I just want to be saved. I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. Why would you not want the power of God? Why would you not want the benefit of the power of God? Because people don't know. They haven't been taught. They don't understand. Who with their eyes wide open is going to say, no, I don't want the power of God in my life. I just want to go to heaven when it's over. And people don't know that's what they're saying because they've been taught wrong about what it is and what it's for and when it's for. But the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, here's how I'll help you. And Paul's relating to us. Likewise, the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us or he helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God talks, speaking in other tongues, in other words. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Well, who searches the hearts? God does. And God knows the mind of the Spirit because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That means the God talk, the utterance in other tongues he gives us is always according to the will of God. So when you speak or you pray in other tongues, you're always praying God's will. Verse 28. Here's what I've been trying to get to all morning. Verse 28, and we know, everybody say we know. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This is one of the greatest out-of-context scriptures that the church world has ever used. I grew up in a denominational church who said, whatever happens, we know that it all works together for our good. If your mama dies, if your child dies, if your dog dies, we know that it always works out for our good. And that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the Holy Ghost impressed upon Paul to say. He said, here's when things always work out for your good, when you pray in the Holy Ghost according to the will of God. Now, here's what we do know. We know that when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us, when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, when we speak or pray in other tongues to allow the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost, to appropriate itself in prayer to pray the perfect will of God, then you can mark it down. Things will always work out for your good. Now, remember what Paul said. Paul said, the Holy Ghost, here's what the work of the Holy Ghost is in you. Number one, he makes you aware that you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. No condemnation because you're righteous. I don't care how you've messed up. If you're in Christ, you're righteous. Hopefully you're messing up, cause you to learn a lesson. You don't want to mess up like that again. But nevertheless, it doesn't change the fact that you're righteous. You were righteous before you did it. You're righteous now after you have. Secondly, the spirit of God that dwells within you, the Holy Spirit that comes through salvation and the baptism of the Holy Ghost will quicken your mortal body. He'll free you from addictions. He'll free you from habits, wrong habits, wrong, wrong action in your life. He'll free you from anything that binds you up and he'll free you from sickness and disease. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual is not just a spiritual work. It manifests in your flesh. The third thing he mentions is the leading of the Holy Ghost. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He bears witness with your spirit. He tells you how he's going to lead you. He bears witness with your spirit, then you're a child of God. And if a child, then you're a joint heir with Christ, equal heir with Christ. In other words, if God delivered Jesus up for your salvation, how will he say no to anything else? Next, he says the Holy Spirit helps us because there are times where we don't know what to do. There are times where you come to the end of your knowledge, end of your understanding, The end of your rope, if you will. What do we do then? The Holy Spirit is there to help us by giving us utterance to speak in other tongues and pray divine secrets to pray the divine will and purpose and plan of God. And you can know this for a certainty. When you spend time praying in the Holy Ghost over your situation, when you come to the end of yourself, now some things you don't need to pray in the Holy Ghost about. If you're praying to receive your healing, if you're praying to receive finances, you don't need to pray in the Holy Ghost about that. The Bible says what the will of God is. But there are other things like what do we do? Where do we go? What's your plan for my life? So what do you do? You pray in the Holy Ghost. You pray in other tongues. And you can know this for a certainty. God will turn things around to work them out for your good when you do. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the Holy Ghost will give you utterance to pray about you and your situation. Even though you may not know what you're saying. Now how does he conclude this? Notice how he concludes. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? Here's a statement that he makes. If literally since God before us, who can be against us? What can you know because of the work of the Holy Ghost in the believer? Since God is for you, who can be against you? 
Then he makes this clarification or this statement. He said, he that uh, spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, he's saying, how can you not win when God will not withhold any good thing from you? That's what he's saying. Now, folks, all of this is in context. This is in context with knowing who you are in Christ and allowing the power of the Holy Ghost, the comforter, to work for you and in you. The next statement he makes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 the King James is really bad on this because they, they mixed up the, the questions and the, the statements. It starts with a statement. Who shall lay, uh, if God be for us, since God be for us, who shall be against us? The second statement is, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So here's the question. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Here's the next statement, third one. It is God that justifies. So here's the question. Who's he going, who is it that is going to condemn you? Well, the answer to that is the devil will try. What keeps him from being successful? The victory that he talked about earlier in the chapter. To know that there's no condemnation. It is Christ that died. And yea rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. Now intercession here is not talking about prayer. Intercession is a fixed position. When the Holy Spirit gives you. Makes intercession for you. By giving you utterance in the Holy Ghost. What it's saying is. The Holy Ghost is in a fixed position. Between your lack of knowledge and God's knowledge. And so he joins those two together. By giving you utterance in other tongues. Jesus is in a fixed position. At the right hand of the Father. As the eternal evidence that you've been joined together with him. That's what it's talking about. Very seldom does the Bible speak in the New Testament about intercession being prayer. Only two times as a matter of fact. Every other time it's talking about a fixed position. Jesus is in a fixed position to join you to the Father. The Holy Spirit is in a fixed position to join your lack of knowledge with the knowledge of God. What is that fixed position? In you and with you. So it's Christ that died. Yea, rather that it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So here's the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If Jesus is there, he's in a fixed position. He's always there for eternity. Then who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Now he's going to give some questions. He's going to expand on this question. He said, shall tribulation or uh, distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Any of those things big enough to separate you from the love of Christ? Well, those are the things that most people complain about going through here on the earth. Those are the things that most people are are faced with the devil trying to say, the only reason you're in this problem is because you messed up so bad. God doesn't love you anymore because you messed up. And that's the very point Paul's making. Are these things big enough to separate you from the love of Christ? He quotes an Old Testament scripture. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep as a slaughter. It looks like we're going to lose on every hand sometimes, doesn't it? So what are we going to say to these things? Verse 37. No, in all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? Because you get the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you to help you no matter what situation you're in. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit within us is the greater one. That means his power is greater than anything that you and I are going to face in this life. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Five different things that you need to know about the Holy Ghost. Number one, the Holy Ghost is a gift. Please notice that not a one of these situations did anybody, was anybody instructed or was it necessary for them to tarry or wait or clean themselves up. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.